welcome back to the Tapping Up podcast with Ian and myself, Daryl, and uh, happy Halloween. Um, I say Halloween, it's actually the 28th as of the date that we're recording this, but it's close to the 31st. It's the shittiest holiday of the year. Don't like trick-or-treaters. Let's get through it quickly. It's for kids, isn't it? We're grown-ups. Who the fuck celebrates Halloween unless you're a kid or you've got kids to take trick-or-treating? Well, one, neither, so. one of these things that obviously you know quite well is that I've got a really weird, irrational fear of trick-or-treaters. Don't like the idea of some young kids coming to my house and begging. And usually I stay in the house and hide upstairs while my missus will go to the door. So I'll be following that tradition this year. Um, what the... F- I don't know if they can hear that. On- <laughs> I was thinking more about the, the window to your life. You've just given the listeners there about... Um- Scared of kids coming up and asking for chocolates? Well, it's not that. I got distracted by someone. I don't know if you driving can, a hairdryer. <laughs> um, but anyway, let's get straight into it. Um, our more uh, serious listeners will have noticed that despite us saying last week we were going to put a double tap together, it didn't actually come out. Um, any reason for that, Ian? couple of reasons isn't there we got we got smashed was one reason and uh despite trying our level-headed best to keep a lid on drinking uh starting on a saturday afternoon uh we met up with a few of your mates that started off on a, a dark path of jaeger bombs very quickly which i'm always more than happy to indulge in by the way as you pointed out i didn't really put much resistance on that before you know it we were absolutely steaming in ponty weren't we oh it took um, three and a half jaeger bombs there were Rumours, I seem to recall, of us doing a double tap with your mates as well as guest posts, and I quickly tried to shut that down because I thought the two of us with our drunk ramblings would be bad enough with five of us as it was. They would have been shouting over each other. It would have been a nightmare. So I think we saved our listeners some earache by avoiding that. Were there five of us? There was. Me, you, and three of your mates. Oh, yeah. Anyway, uh, straight into it then. So, from what I do remember, it was quite a good event when we, we started watching it. I think your neighbours would disagree. They must have been hating it, seeing as we uh, we all five of us packed into your uh, garden house uh, and were... Don't say, call it a garden house. It makes it sound well gimpy. Summer house. Summer house. Um, in winter. With a nice TV and, you know, it's appropriate seating. It was good. Uh, it was in enclosed atmosphere, so it felt kind of uh, a good venue to watch the fight. Um, start from the top then so um, brutally efficient Makalev wasn't he yeah just smashed through him um, we talked about the different eventualities and the way that that could go um, we did obviously out of all of the eventualities him choking out Oliveira was definitely one of them which was how it transpired um, two points for me I suppose uh, would be one I didn't see it happening that quickly very shortly into the second round uh, and probably sounding ridiculously harsh on this one but as a jiu-jitsu black belt and the person with the most UFC submissions ever I can't help but feel Oliveira tap quick well we, we said this um, on the night and obviously we went back through it and I took a look through how long it actually took for him to tap obviously there's a difference between seeing how long he took to tap well I couldn't actually see in front of me and then seeing how long he took to tap in the replays. And we had a look at it together as well yesterday, were it? Um, 10 seconds. It's not the worst, 
it's still quick in terms of what it looked like. Cause it didn't look like it was properly locked in. Head and arm chokes are nasty because your arm is in with your neck. So it naturally makes there even less space for you to breathe. So it's having had an arm, had an arm choke applied to me. That is a nasty choke. Um, the, the thing for me, okay, maybe I'm either harsh or old school here, but there's a certain uh, prestige and honour, is probably how I would describe it, that goes with jiu-jitsu and high-level black belts. And particularly when you've got black belts together, no one wants to tap. So I, I get it, and you've got to put your career first. Prime example, this is probably a bit old school, um, maybe for your uh, mind, but I'm sure I've showed you this before. Minotauro versus Frank Mir. So both super high-level black belts. And this is the one where Frank Mir caught him in an armbar. And I think I've showed you, it's one of the, the most beautiful sequences of jiu-jitsu I've ever seen, where Frank Mir gets an armbar, Minotauro looks in real trouble, manages to roll out, Frank Mir rolls with him the same way to keep the Kimura in place and then snaps his arm. And so you've got... Minotauro would rather have his arm broke than tap to a move that he was renowned for in a Kimura. Now, with that, you could argue, and being honest, that's probably stupid because that puts you out for six months, you've got a broken arm. If you get choked out, all you do is you go unconscious. So there's a little bit of me that would have had way more respect for Oliveira if he went out and then he comes to... That's that's the kind of level of warrior I expect, I think, with jiu-jitsu and when they're too high level. Maybe I'm being really, really super critical here. Armbar's different because you can break a knee, anything you can get an arm broken, choke. I feel like there's a certain level where people are like, nah, I'm not tapping out to this, I'll just go out. On that then, does it really matter, ultimately? So if, obviously he did tap out, if he hadn't have tapped out, either way he's still losing the fight. Like you say, it doesn't, Absolutely no difference in the slightest, and it makes zero difference to probably 95% of people. Only people with very strange perspectives about being the best of the best to me and with that that competitive edge. That if you break it down again in terms of with an arm bar, you break your arm, you're stupid. Why would you not tap? With a choke, you do build up what you can argue is called usually referred to as choke resistance. So if you are training jiu-jitsu every day, you're having chokes put on and you tap appropriately, you'll be able to last longer than someone who's never been choked out before. And they do say that when you do go unconscious, it can kind of reset that. So you again, I could e- e- easily argue it the other way, that Oliveira was being sensible and keeping his tap resistance. But for me, when you're old school, going out on your sword, someone puts a choke in, I'm not tapping. So is that why you keep trying to choke out all my mates whenever we go on nights out? You're actually trying to build up a resistance from and doing them a favour? Uh, exactly that, that every time you resist a choke, you do them a favour. So Nathan, I'm sure he, I'd forgotten until you showed me the video of me trying to choke out someone I've only met twice before, uh, which wasn't a personal highlight for me, uh, reflecting on the night. But um, Highlight for me. Absolutely. Um, is He didn't tap out, to be fair. Um, he died from the video. Um I did put him to sleep. Which what, is a bit the of a one shame. where he's face down in a gutter somewhere <laughs> in the middle of Pontefract. But um, yeah, he, he did well. He, he resisted. But yeah, so you can you can definitely argue that on, on both sides, Oliveira would be saying, "Well, it didn't tap to keep my choke resistance for next time." I think there, there's a certain thing. It's usually with Brazilians, Brazi- he is Brazilian as well, which is the strangeness of that. That there's this kind of no, I'm not tapping. I'm refusing to be beaten with my own techniques. So that. 
that was a little bit surprising for me. But um... So where do both fighters go now then? So before we go further down the card, obviously Makalev came out and called out Volkanovski, which is an interesting one. Not a fan. Yeah. You've had one fight in terms of winning the title. You haven't even defended your belt yet and you're calling out other people. It, it reeks to me of this people trying to jump the queue. I, I'm not a fan of it. Um, example, I've got, actually this is a kind of weird loop to a point I've got, Adesanya. Now, he smashed everybody at middleweight. I think he had five, six title defences and was like, look, I'll take on Blakowski to for the light heavyweight title. Lost. Bigger man lost. It's a £20 weight jump. Goes back down to his own division. Everyone's like, at least you've cleared out your division. So if Makalev had five or six title defences in a row, I get it. He wants the money. He wants the big fights. I think that's cheeky. If you look at it on the other side, fair play to Volkanovski. Volkanovski is in that position that he's cleaned out of his division. Beat Max Holloway three times. Um, you know, he's beat everybody else. He, what's there not to love if you're a Volkanovski? One, you're the smaller man. A bit like we talked about, it's the same dynamic with Conor Ben uh, and Eubank Jr. The bigger man is always expected to win. So someone like Volkanovski, Volkanovski says, yeah, you want to take me on for the number one pound for pound? I'll take you on at your title, wait, 155. Volkanovski gets a better payday than he's ever got because of the hype building it up. If he loses, drops back to 145, still got his belt. And he's got a nice payday. All the risk is on Makalev with that fight, but it feels like he's being cheeky and too early for me. Who wins? <sighs> People sleep on Volkanovski. Uh, obvious, and I would guess if they do put that together, Makalev will be the overwhelming uh, favourite. This is where size matters for me. Is Volkanovski is fight? very, very good uh, at takedown defence and keeping people off him. Can he beat, keep someone that that? with that much skill in terms of Sambo wrestling in the ground game and the obviously bigger man. So I'd have to go with Makalev, but no one should be slipped. But what Volkanovski has achieved as a uh, an underdog that many times, he's certainly in with a... Yeah, he's a right... He's a dog. He's one of those... If you were in a fight, Volkanovski's the guy you'd want next to you because he's not stopping. He's not quitting. You know, he's taking on fucking guys that are fucking seven foot tall. There is, he's got a lot of fight. That old saying, it's not the size of the, what is it? Not the size of the fight in the dog, the dog in the fight. It's in Snatch. You know, basically, it's more about what, you, and, and Volkanovski is a monster like that. But Makalev would start a favourite for me. I'll ask again, because I don't think you heard me. Is this a Vegas fight? Or is this somewhere else? It, Vegas is obviously your de facto for big fights like this. See, Volkanovski is an Aussie. Could easily stick this in Australia, ninety thousand stadium, one of the, the rugby league venues or something like that. You all equally wonder. I saw the the homecoming that that Makalev got when he went back to Dagestani uh, or Dagestan. Um, do they look to do one of those two? But uh, it's a difficult one. If it probably, Vegas, probably, probably Vegas. I, I, I would think it would be an American card. That I'm going to say, if it were Vegas, I'd quite like them to delay it by about a year and a half and we'll uh, potentially go watch it. Uh, the way that they seem to be talking about that, Volkanovski hasn't got a fight. I, I, I think that'll be... The next. Probably the main card on a January, I would think. That early? Yeah. I, would I think the way more... they seem they're talking, I could see that being a you know Not January March. card. I mean, it could be March. March. Argue it. I'm going to argue with myself. We just said that 
Super Bowl card. Super yeah. Bowl is tends to be around my birthday, which is the start of February, uh, and uh, to, by tradition, UFC put on a big card. So there you go. That 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 would definitely be on the Super Bowl card. Good job. Other two fights: um, Do Sterling Dillashaw, just because I think this is far more clear cut than the next one that we go on to. Um, just domination, really, wasn't it? Just again, to, to be entirely clear, we were smashed watching the card, <laughs> so my memory is. Uh, not as good as it could be and the only uh, fight that I've actually watched back because I felt I had to and before we're going to talk about it is Yan O'Malley which I think we'll come on to in a second so I've watched that back Um, yeah Dillashaw's wrestling chops were just too good weren't they sorry uh, Sterling's he just dominated him apparently Dillashaw was carrying quite a serious injury injury. yeah um, and a lot of people are saying that he shouldn't have been cleared for this fight I always feel that that's one of those excuses that people, when they want an excuse, name me a fighter realistically. If you ever listen to most fighters, no fighter ever goes in with a hundred percent clean bill of health. Boxing, MMA, they've always got a niggle, a stretch. It's how they manage that. Now, something like a serious shoulder injury, it's MMA. Like, but of course, it's going to fuck you up. You can't punch. You can't stop people. But you've gone ahead. You, I mean, it used to be. The, the 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 testing by doctors was less stringent than it used to be, and you'd have people that would just lie to the doctors. Now I feel like he can't have been that bad, or he wouldn't have been passed by the doctor. So mm. I feel like he's 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 overinflating that a little bit. And I did see just on a side note that he claims he beat Cody Galbrandt with the same injury. So if you're beating a guy who was at the top of the world at one point, then your injury's not that bad. So I, I feel like he's looking for a bit of an excuse. He got dominated, didn't he? Really? Yeah, I don't think there were any real question um, about that. But it does bring us on to the next bit. Sterling O'Malley, potentially? Yeah, the way that the fights went. Um... Unless, obviously, there's a rematch on the card because Jan and uh, O'Malley was very, very contentious. I remember watching this and uh, even the people who weren't necessarily UFC fans that we were out with on Saturday um, agreed with you and thought that that was definitely Jan's fight and that he definitely won. I remember specifically saying at the end of the third round, because of how this goes and because of how sport is these days, that this is going to be given to O'Malley. Um, Third round, he definitely won. Second round, I thought Jan won. And the first round was the debatable one. O'Malley was more flashy, if if that's the correct word there. Um... And ultimately came away with it because he's the the hyped fighter at the moment. But I remember specifically saying to you, "You did. This is going to be a given to a man." You called it when we were waiting for the judges' decision. I mean, at the time, again from my memory, uh, when because that that was one of the more competitive fights in terms of that. It was a bit more back and forth, so it was quite engaging for us. One and your mates who were more casual fans, uh, and it originally felt like a robbery, like an easy. 30-27, if not 29-28 to Yan. Um, and that was why I felt um, I had to go back and watch it again in the cold light of day and before we were talking about it. Having watched it again, it, 100% Yan still won 2-1 to me. But what I did do, I, I did, I think I'd mentioned to you earlier in the week, we'd have a look at, because we were talking about it, how much of a robbery it was. Uh, and MMA Fighting do a really good weekly or maybe monthly segment called... Um, robbery review and they look at 
fights like that where someone says this was a robbery and break it down to basically say is it was it and actually we were discussing it and and the, the stats were quite enlightening in terms of the number of strikes and significant strikes that O'Malley outlanded Yan in um, and effectively if we are looking at it having it again in the cold light of day it exposes one of the issues that you've got generally I think we might have talked about before of the 10-9 plus system in terms of scoring and MMA judging generally because what was more important strikes landed that didn't really cause a great deal of damage, which I think on the stats O'Malley did. Now, he did land the more significant ones, but he landed a lot more punches that didn't do that much damage. Or do you favour in the scoring takedowns and control of somebody? Because I can't remember which one, but one of the rounds in particular, Jan just basically took him down, didn't he? Stuffed him, kept him down, and totally controlled him on the ground. It was the second round, I think. Um, So it, it, it comes down to that kind of inadequate scoring system where we've just inherited and tried to make the boxing scoring fit for MMA that actually there should be ways of scoring all these things on different facets and and to me control is an important point but punching someone in the face and causing damage will always be more significant than control because it's more dangerous and this is a fight at the end of the day it is a sport what's the essence of fighting who wins if there were no rules and holding someone down is not going to win you a fight. Punching someone in or kicking them in the head is. Agreed. I think the difficulty you've got is exactly what you said there. It's essentially a boxing scoring system applied to a different form of physical sport. And you can't take that sort of scoring into something if it's two styles against each other. And again, I'm not the most in-depth fan when it comes to UFC, but even I can appreciate that if someone is there getting their head punched in all the way through and I've watched no UFC before and it just so happens that the only thing that the other guy's doing is, you know, and this is it, the opinion of, of what some of the people were saying on Saturday, holding down and just making the fight boring, that's two different things. One isn't necessarily worse than the other, but one is flashier than the other and he's going to be scored higher than the other in certain instances. But again, that, that comes down to the, the judging scoring, doesn't it? Totally agree. The only, only I'm going to argue against you and my own point there of that usually it's referred to like what we're talking about, that you, you get less of them these days. People, it feels that the crowd want people to be flashy and watch knockouts. It used to be for, referred to as lay and pray. So that's grab someone, take them down and just hold them down and smother them, control them and take the, take the round win based on that basis. Um, and... Is that boring as fuck to watch? Yes, no one wants to watch that. Even a purist like me doesn't enjoy that. But is there a counter-argument that if someone is imposing their game and will on you and you can't do jack shit about it, well, then you need to get better. So there, there is a, a tiny bit of that anger. I'm a bit like, if someone compete, does that, and is that... Khabib, Khabib never won any fight, but apart, he didn't lay and pray, but he would ground and pound. He would take you down, he would smother you and beat the fuck out of you. No one found the way to solve that puzzle to keep him up, get him off him once he, he was on you, or keep him on his feet. So the, laying and praying is a, is a more boring and monotonous version of that. Khabib certainly wasn't that. But there's a part of me that says if you can impose your will and resolve to do something on someone and they can't do anything about it, that's an element of the game. Agreed. Um, 
I mean, Jan obviously hasn't taken this well at all, and I know that Cormier has. Um, I can't remember who we were talking to, but we were doing an interview recently, um, and he said uh, Jan is so disappointed in this decision, um, and also against Sterling. Uh, he made a point of that, uh, and he's hearing that the guy may want to look to something different in terms of his career because he doesn't feel like the organisation has his back. So whether this is a bit of a, a toys out of the pram situation or what, or whether it's just false threats, it seems well, you've like... got a contract for a start. Yeah, yeah exactly. I'm not going to release him because he's a bit upset with the judges, who the UFC don't employ, by the way. We should be clear on that. It's the athletic commission that employ the judges of whoever it is. So the UFC have no... Does it help them in that it built up a star for O'Malley more than Yan? No doubt. But they can't control the... Unless there's some serious bungs and brown envelopes There's going questions on. to be asked there, though. Um, that the just sounds like he's throwing his toys out of his pram. I mean, what's next? The obvious, You could argue it either way in that O'Malley Sterling. But I think you're feeding O'Malley to the wolves a little bit early if you're trying to build him. Crazy one out there. You could argue, do you go for Sterling Yan 3? Because it wasn't a horrendous loss. Most people think Yan won. The UFC have put people into title fights before on the back of a loss. And it's 2-0 to Sterling, but one was a D, the, the disqualification by knee. So it's a bit of a crazier shout-out Do out people there. want to see that? No, really? I, d- I don't think so. I'm just saying, could could they do that? Yeah, I think if you did O'Malley-Sterling, Sterling's going to smash him. Maybe one more for O'Malley before going into that. Just to improve. Agreed. You want to give him someone who has got some wrestling chops like that, who is going to try and take him down to see how he can defend and prepare him for when he then takes on Sterling. I see O'Malley, Yan too, to be honest. Because I think he gets, uh, as in Yan, I think he gets quite stroppy about this for a, a few weeks to come and then probably tries to enforce a rematch as quickly as possible. And I think O'Malley, based on what he was saying at the end of the fight, it's not one of these fighters who turned around and says, ah, no, I've done it. Don't need to fight him again. I've already beat him. I think he were quite up for a potential rematch there. Surprised me because that I, I I could see it, and but it's, it's one of those all the upsides are for Yan O'Malley. As much as I appreciate a warrior, said, Do you know what? I beat him once. I'll beat him again, and I'll make it clean. And there can be no doubt this time. I like that approach. But when he's on the back of being able to possibly get a title shot, that's a dangerous fight for him. So I, I, I appreciate yeah. that. Hats off to him. Sadly, someone like his manager chirping in his ear. Sean, don't do that. Let's wait. Hold, you know, hold a line. We might better get you Sterling for the title. He'll be singing the money, but that's going to end badly for O'Malley. I feel, but um, yeah, fair play to him if he's going to go for the rematch. We'll segue. Still, kind of UFC, but it, it's also actually boxing. Um, your favourite is about to get sparked out this weekend. He um, is, but I've got two other quick points only for you on if we're going on MMA before we just go off. Okay. Um, so I've seen been waiting for it for a while but I don't think unless I'm wrong there is any official fight confirmation of this heavyweight debut of John Jones so he, he was tweeting I saw uh, that I read an article that he was talking about being prepared to fight uh, Steve Biocic for, on the 3rd of December card I think is 282 um, but nothing's been confirmed it's leaving it quite late for a start to, you know uh, a month or so out before that would be fight for one of the a genuine goats making his heavyweight debut so I, I, that feels a bit like obviously the UFC aren't biggest Jones John Jones biggest fan or Dana in particular but that feels too big a fight to be not sorted yet and then building and that would be a really good fight for Jones to test him 
DAP's no no joke, but he's probably on the slide. So I think we thought that was interesting. Um, the only other one, very quickly, was uh, UFC Fight Night this week. So we've got Calvin Kata versus Allen. Um, that's the main uh, event. Should be a pretty good scrap. Calvin Kata's a pretty good, good, good gatekeeper again. We've talked about him before in terms of tends to use to the uh, the, the real elite uh, his weight, but will beat pretty much anybody else. Uh, just got a few fun bits on there that I'd noticed from the, from the undercard. So the, the, the co-main event is a guy called Phil Hawes. Uh, best known for, the, I can't remember if you would have seen this one, mouthing off to Cormier after his last win. I thought you were going to say he's most famous for his second name. Uh, no, so he after he won his last fight, Cormier came out to interview him and he started mouthing off to Cormier. I think he beat, if I don't remember it correctly, he beat one of Cormier's teammates. So he was a bit like... Oh, you didn't want to be interviewing me, did you? And they had a bit of a, a fucking gob off in the uh, in in, um, in in the in the ring after the fight, which is very uncommon. Never seen Rogan do that, so I thought uh, that was it. But he's best known Phil Hawes uh, for that. You've also got got a shout out Andre Olovsky, thirty ninth UFC fight, uh, all in the heavyweight division, the most ever. Former champ. When I first started watching it, he, he was immaculate. So. Um, 39 is the most, uh, second most fights in UFC history. Number one, 40 fights. Seeing as you love to put on the credit, can you name them? I, I get the feeling that I'm going to say no. Um, is he a famous heavyweight? No, he's not a heavyweight, so he is, I believe, a lightweight and welterweight mainly. Uh, not someone that most people would know. I didn't realise he had 40 fights. Jim Miller. For Nate Diaz, fuck is If I showed you a picture of him, you see him. he's got used a beard, has some nasty standing elbows, but forty fights in the UFC—that's fucking ridiculous. The questions that you ask me on UFC, <laughs> the weeks that go by are getting worse and worse. It's going to be next time you're going to ask me some questions about like the first ever UFC fighter in the forties or whatever it is, and I'm going to still not know the answer. Um, just thought that one was worth uh, asking. But yeah, Jim Miller, fair play to him, 45. Uh, and Olofsgate, I think his MMA record is something like 35 wins and 20 losses. He, he's been knocked out more than any fighter I can ever think of and still going. So, that so he's tells got brain damage then. Oh, he so. will undoubtedly have CTE when he's older, <laughs> guaranteed. Jesus. But in terms of longevity of training and his ability, outstanding. Well, I finally get the chance to go on to... Um... And some silver then, because... Uh, he's got his excuses out already this he's week. He's going to get sparked, and I don't know how you're going to react to it. So it's a bit of a weird one, this, isn't it? So uh, I kind of only just... I haven't read a lot about the build-up, but as far as... Correct me if I'm wrong. So earlier in the week, he did an, art, uh, uh, an article, I believe was in Spanish, so there could be some mistranslation in there, or Brazilian, you know, whatever um, his native tongue is. And he basically said, or what they translated as, that he'd got knocked out tr- twice in training for this fight. That then came out, and I think everyone was like, what the fuck? You got knocked out twice in training? You can't do that. That's, you know, you're going to be a health issue. He then has rewound that and said, no, no, that's not what I said. I don't know what he did if he tried to say I meant something else. And then what we did say, I had a quick look um, earlier at lunchtime just to catch up on everything that's going before the podcast. And he's been cleared medically and whoever uh, the promoter is came out and said he's got a his exact words were a pristine MRI scan, so I'm guessing of, of his head, so that will obviously show no damage whatsoever. So unless I'm missing something, I don't know what the fuck's going on. If it's a mistranslation, or is Anderson a bit worried and he's getting his excuses out the first? One of the two. 
Adesanya was on um, Jake Paul's show recently, um, and Adesanya turned around and said, don't, and this is a quotation, um, don't fucking sleep on silver, otherwise it's going to be a bad night. I want to see you shake up the world. It's fun to see you just throw your shit everywhere. Um, but he's backing Jake Paul to knock him out. Backing or sat opposite him on his show doesn't sound to me like... I ask him off mic when he's not there with someone what we want to happen. Now, there's a, there is that element of chaos that people like, of just Jake Paul fuck. He's just causing chaos to all these things, which I can kind of see... I'd, have, I'd hope that that is just him being gobby because he's on the show. Because obviously they fought as well, uh, Silva and Adesanya. 2019. And that was like, the, again, Adesanya should look at it that he caught him at the... I'd lo- that would be one of the dream matchups of Prime versus Prime. The best ever middleweights, two, probably the two best ever middleweights. You put them both at their prime. Anderson was a different beast. And that's the thing about Anderson. He fought on into his early 40s. And he got, I think his last last record was one one win, six losses. His last seven fights. And that one loss was jammy as fuck. was a decision he shouldn't have got that. You know, he fought on way too long. People look at that record and underappreciate what he is. And for someone like Adesanya to say that, Adesanya would have got fucking beat the fuck out of by Sylvie his prime. I really did, but, but I thought there might be a bit more, given the way that Jake Paul positions himself, I would have liked to hope that all the MMA guys are lining up with any ex-MMA fighting to say, no, I want him to beat the fuck out of you and you to get your comeuppance. So, Never works like that, does it? Um, what would he... What, here's the other question. Then. What would he... What would, have, what would Adesanya, Adesanya said if he was on Anderson Silver's show? Would he, 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 he say the same? Would he have gone on Anderson Silver's show? I, I, I don't I, know. I, Anderson I, Silver got one. I don't yeah. know. But I, I, I'm just saying, saying to someone... I think you're going to win when you're in the studio on their show, which is going to give you more exposure. Like, you know, let's be fair, as much as it sucks to say, Jake Paul's way more famous than Adesanya. So it just feels a little bit like politicking because of where he is rather than the genuine view. Um, Some other bits and pieces for you. So Conor McGregor has been given a chance to return to boxing. You seen this? I had not against... For a title fight. Um... He has been offered a fight for the IBO light middleweight title, which is currently held by Dennis Hogan. So it'd be a, obviously an Irish fight. Um, Spike O'Sullivan is probably the favourite to get that fight, but Hogan's manager has come out, um, I think Steve Scanlon, has come out and said that we've been in touch with Spike O'Sullivan, but we're also trying to get in touch with Conor McGregor um, to try and make this fight and offer him away. He's not going to be able to do it realistically, even if he wanted to, which I don't think he will, um, because yeah, I think he'd get embarrassed because it's someone that he's relatively not known and um, he's going to be better than McGregor at a, a boxing match. But he also, and I'm looking up at this, is out of the US anti-doping agency's testing pool and you've got to be enrolled for uh, is it about six months before competing, so the fight would have to... Is that in boxing as well? Because we discussed yeah. that on the last episode, didn't I? Because I'd said about that, that this is how he'd, he'd been out of the pool for over 12 months and inactive, but still in the rankings, which is bullshit. Yeah. Um, the only interesting thing uh, for that for me, because I was about to say when you said, I'm trying to be better at interrupting you, when you said for a title, I was like, let me guess it's the IBO or IBF, because I think they're the only two jokers that don't seem to do rankings. 
So again, when you've got these ones that we've talked about before with people jumping ahead in these rankings, WBO, WBA, WBC, for sure, all have rankings and your title fighter has to be someone within the rankings or something like that. So I was just thinking when you said that, that my fucking... The Jokers. That does would... does that really matter though when you're um, organising a top fight, a top ten fight against or in between Tyson Fury and Derek Chisora because he's technically in top ten? Look, at just using a similar analogy that we just did. Mag- that chap, whoever has got the title, is it Hogan? You said his name was yeah. Dennis Hogan, Hogan is Vanol- Volkanovski. There's no downside to that. He gets to fight and make a shitload more money. He's gonna beat Connor. Uh, Connor is the one that's got all the downside. He's fighting someone that the majority of people, even us as boxing fans, me as a boxing fan, never even heard of. It's for a dog shit title. If he does fight it, he's, and he loses, what's what's the upside to him? So I, I tell you now, Connor is too shrewd an operator to take that fight, even if they offered it. Because hundred percent, I don't, I can't see him going anywhere near that. He'll be waiting for either big money UFC, or it's going to be the uh, Mayweather horrendous rematch. And I tell you what, it wouldn't. Try now. We're trying to move on. Makalev. If Makalev was clever, Makalev is is, is gonna would smash McGregor in the same way that Khabib did. That's the money fight for him. That I'll tell you now would earn Makalev more money than the one pound for pound uh, number one fight against Volkanovski. So if he was clever enough, he should try and bait Connor into that. Uh, one thing we've said about Connor before: he takes any fight. He'd, he'd, he'd fight Makalev. I have no doubt. Well, on that, and on taking any fight, we've got uh, Lomachenko and Ortiz this weekend. Um, bit of a sleeper, funnily enough, even though, obviously, everyone knows Lomachenko and everyone knows he's a good fighter. It's one of these where I, I haven't seen any hype for it at all this week, and it's been one of these, uh, no one's really mentioned it. Um, we were discussing this earlier. This, for me, the lightweight division is the best boxing division at the moment. So you've got... Uh, looking through, um, obviously you've got Lomachenko, you've got Haney, you've got Stevenson, you've got Davis, you've got Ryan Garcia. Um, and the best thing about this division, by far, and again, I'm going off on a bit of a tangent here, main point is that Lomachenko wins this comfortably, by the way. Um, but the best thing about this division, that unlike we've seen in a lot of men's boxing recently, Tyson Fury, Anthony Joshua, you know, Spence and Crawford, a lot of big name fights which are failing to materialise that doesn't necessarily happen this division because this division has a lot of people who just want to get themselves established as you know the best of the best it's not about money it's not about anything else it just they have this ongoing need to prove themselves and that's exactly what boxing should be yeah and they're just again they're just below what we've mentioned on a few episodes before that kind of what I think the weight that the public become a bit more interested and you can start to get the money in the pay-per-view, which is a roundabout. I think we were saying these guys are fighting at 135. Uh, welterweight is 140, and then you've got super welterweight with 147. That's where you got that. That's where um, Mayweather used to fight. That's where Pacquiao went up to. I think 147 is where uh, Spence and Crawford are. So again, lurking one. What if you can great rate one thirty five? You can easily go up to one forty, and there's a, a, a litany of outstanding fights that, that could then be made. So I agree with you. I think Lomachenko dispatches him pretty easily. Um, not even really heard much of Ortiz. If I'm honest, we were looking at his record earlier. Never fought anyone of any real note. Um, I think it's another showcase for Lomachenko moving up through the weights. 
and there'll be a big fight at 140 maybe as we said Haney he won uh, last week or the week before that 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 could definitely be a, a go I think Haney's um, I think currently ranked number one in the transnational boxing ranking record board um He's got three of the four titles already unified. Yeah, so um, some he, of them last week when he beat Combosos Junior. Yeah, you can see why he's number one because he, he does look good. But I think you get to the point now where the congestion at the top will start to filter out while all these these big names start fighting each other. Um, weirdly, we seem to be moving on to football last. I think it's the first time we've done that, isn't it? Um, but I have a few bits and pieces. We've got to obviously talk about Leeds and Liverpool. I don't want to at all, as you can imagine. But we'll come on to that. Um, a few bits and pieces. Pablo Mari, um, so Arsenal defender, stabbed. Which uh, just popped so up on yesterday. Was, like, was it amongst six other people? So I yeah. mean, was he out? And I, I didn't really see much. I saw it happen, but I've, I've got to be honest, I haven't got the, the details of it. Um, so, you know, Forty-seven-year-old supermarket employee was killed. So Jesus. he got quite lucky. It's, uh, a few other people were stabbed. Um, he's basically in the supermarket with his wife and son, stabbed in the back. So not, it's not wow. even like... A, I thought it was like a team thing, if he was out no, with Monza, doesn't he? Yeah, so uh, he's had surgery, it's all gone well. Um, he's going to be, I think, out for about two months. But to be honest, very, very lucky man. Wow, our best wishes to him. What kind of piece of shit stabs someone in the back? Quite the, literally. The, the, yeah. the, the saying is where it comes from, because it's the lowest of the low. But yeah, our best wishes to uh, Pablo and uh, condolences to anyone else affected in that. Yeah. Um, Erling Haaland... So he went off with injury uh, in the, the week. Just got <laughs> so withdrawn at half time against Dortmund with a foot problem. Um, also, according to Guardiola, was coming down with influenza. It's a very odd way of putting it because you said he's got a bit of a cold. Um, so he's a doubt ahead of the the trip to Leicester on Saturday. He's uh, set to be assessed. I get the feeling that he might be rested. Um, I thought it was quite funny because Brendan Rodgers, during his pre-match conference, turned around and said, I really hope he plays. He's a really, really good player. What a load of shit. Of course he did. I couldn't imagine a more ridiculous thing to say. I tell you what, I really hope Messi and Ronaldo play against us. No, no, you don't. I thought it would be impossible for the Terminator to get flu, would be the first point uh, on that. But, I mean, it gives the Premier League other players a bit, or other teams, sorry, a bit of a chance maybe. Do the City probably need him against Leicester? Arguably not. And I'd be interested to see if it gives Alvarez a go. I was about to say to you, does it give our man Alvarez that I gave a lot of bigs up to before they signed him a chance to shine? Because I think he's been criminally underutilised so far by Pep. And you never know, I, I, some pretty fucking big shoes to fill in it. The yeah, Terminators, say, you can't yeah. even get close to that, but... He, he he looks a right player, and I think if given a run of games and a chance to to get his eye in and, and build the, uh, you know, be on that same sort of telepathic wavelength that um, Harland and, and De Bruyne is with with some of the rest of the team, he could do really well. <sighs> I suppose we've got to talk about, it, haven't we? Um, so it's Leeds v Liverpool um, tomorrow at a ridiculous time so not only does it ruin my weekend it also ruins it bang slap in the middle on Saturday night um, could be Jesse Marsh's last game although I feel like I've been saying this for the last few weeks now um, it's going to be a, a walkover I think for you I think you're talking yourself out of it or just trying to make it easier or hit me with the bait that 
when if Liverpool do lose, it hurts even more because obviously we won't go too deep into it. But Liverpool were dog shit and lost to Forest last weekend, which um, actually was surprising that I came out for our little shindig because my week my Saturday had been ruined by that lunchtime kickoff and how woeful Liverpool were. Hats off to Forest; they looked very good. Henderson uh, had a good game. Um, uh, Ryan Yates, I think it was, in the, in the middle of the park, carried on running, looked a really good player. Virgil had like three clean headers, just don't know what he thought he was doing, um, but we looked awful. We were fortunate in midweek against Ajax, you know, 3-0 makes it sound like a bit of a drubbing and we're pretty comfortable uh, after 2-0 it was, but the first half was certainly not comfortable. Ajax had a few chances and two really big, one in particular sitter that they missed, and I think it would have been a very different game. So um, Liverpool come into it with a little bit of a bounce in their step that might be undeserved, but it also feels like with those two games we've been flattering to deceive. Um, so I, I think it will be a tougher game than you're giving Leeds credit for. If you if you no. play like you played against Arsenal and we play like we played against Forest and Ajax, you could easily get a result. So we played like we played against Arsenal once in the last eight games. The other performances have all been absolutely shocking. Um, it seems to get progressively worse. The Fulham game might be the worst that we've played all season, which is saying something because we were awful against Leicester as well. So it just seems to be getting worse and worse. I did see a very weird um, video by Tifa, uh, who went into the ins and outs of Jesse Marsh's start at Leeds uh, this season. And it basically was saying that Leeds are the most unlucky team in the league and seem to have everything going for them in terms of stats, apart from they can't finish and they can't defend. So I don't know how that's unlucky. Who's Tifo? Uh, is it not Tifo? The football analysts. I don't know. I, just, I was just—I I didn't know oh, if it was uh, an acronym or a YouTube sensation like you often do that I didn't know. So um, I've, got to, I've got to Google that quickly then. I'm sure it's Tifo football. Sorry, I, I wasn't trying to take you off oh, track. I just oh, didn't nice. know. Um, oh, if you, if you haven't watched Tifo, they're definitely one to keep an eye on. They basically do analysis uh, about all different wakes of football so they'll talk about specific um, managers about how they play about why things are going how they're doing and I think Athletic signed a deal with them but yeah definitely want to keep an eye on if you've not heard of Tifo before but yeah they were basically saying that Jesse Marsh is getting a lot of flack sent towards him despite the fact that the Leeds aren't necessarily playing poorly and it just seems to be like every shot goes in against Leeds every chance that we get is missed and obviously you've seen Bamford's not going to take the chances that if we do get any against you. And likewise, I think we've got about four injuries, including to Liam Cooper. Liam Cooper's a doubt. So we're going to be left with Urente in centre-back. So I if can there's tell one you. hope I do have, it's that Bamford starts. Because the last few games when he has come back, his finishing has been woeful. And probably now watching make me uh, regret that. But... Um... I'll feel considerably more happy if uh, Bamford's starting rather than Rodrigo. I can tell you he will because Rodrigo's injured. So Rodrigo can't start. I can see you're trying to find Tifa and it seems that you... What on earth are you searching there? T-I-F-O. Okay. Um, Anyway, um, we'll move on from that because we'll come back to it, I'm sure, next week with you laughing. I'm in London, so I I hopefully will get the chance. I'm at a a friend's 40th birthday party. I haven't seen a lot of them for a while, so I feel we'll feel 
slightly rude walking up to the party and then being immediately fuck all of you I'm going to watch the football but that's very likely what will happen so. I have to be honest I kind of do hope your weekend is ruined nothing against you but it means that my weekend won't be so. that's a lie nothing <laughs> against me I want to. Ru- I, w- I want you to have your weekend ruined and I want to have this, the smug grim when I see you on Monday that to just to know that we won that so. would be a terrible day this is a bit like we were saying this is everything for me to win nothing for me to lose because we expect Liverpool to win agreed and whilst I will have a, an air of smugness on Monday when I see you and probably Saturday it we should win it doesn't feel like it would be one of those games that I'll be like yeah you know as much as I'd love to it, it should be a, a relatively looked at the table look at the teams a standard victory look at so, the form as well uh, I, I, if we do win I won't be giving you a lot of shit because I think it would be expected but I would fully expect to get a lot of shit back if the reverse happens particularly as it's at Anfield I'm going to say if if we do lose and it's a considerable loss um, don't be surprised if you see uh, a noose as you walk through the door on uh, Monday um, that would just be a Halloween prop, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah, it is actually Halloween, not on Monday. Great. Even better. So my weekend's going to be ruined and then I've got little shits coming to my door and stealing sweets So more you might try and hang yourself at work and no one would actually, the people would think you're joking, it's just a costume. A, <laughs> um, a bit of an odd one. So we got a few questions sent to us. Um, I don't know how. I don't know who's been listening to this. Uh, absolute shy. Our rabid fans. Um, yes, yeah, so we've got three different questions. So what I'll do, I'll go through them with you. Uh, I've got the actual account names, but I'll just go by the first names. I feel like it's a bit weird saying account names and stuff. But um, first question's from Pete in Edinburgh. Uh, He says, hi guys, as Ian seems to be a huge Manchester United fan, feel his best place to answer first. Is it time for Cristiano Ronaldo to accept that he isn't the player that he once was? 100% Pete. Um, He isn't. Everyone knows that. He, he's trying, he might be trying to kid. I think the only person who thinks that he is, is himself. Um, man, you're paying a ridiculous amount of wages by all accounts for someone who is not contributing on the pitch and is having a detrimental effect off the pitch in terms of what they're building. Um, not his biggest fan, obviously not Scum's biggest fans, but if take all that and, and try and apply an objective view, cancel his contract in January. If he wants to go somewhere else and earn millions in... Saudi Arabia or you know somewhere in the Middle East that are going to pay him like that um, I'd be surprised if any I mean anyone in any of the top leagues I know he's hell bent on getting these records and Champions League records and things like that so he wants to go to another team that could challenge good luck selling that after he's been this way this season form alone let alone his, his attitude I'm going to say he had a strop against Spurs a couple of weeks ago he then missed the Chelsea game um, and then came back this week it was SE Sheriff um, on Thursday and scored a goal so he's the, the next best thing again but um, yeah I, I think to be honest he's causing more of an issue to Ten Hag for Man United than is, is necessary at the moment they've got other things that they need to be dealing with um, and obviously it's <laughs> I'd say it's hard to watch it happening to Ronaldo it's not I, I, little simply whatsoever but eventually all good players get to the point where they start to, to fade off because no one can beat time at the end of the day um, but to be honest, there's an argument to suggest that this season, man, you're actually better off without him in the team. So I think it's hard to counter that argument at all. I think it's pretty statistic, even statistically proven, they're far better without him in the team. Apart from what he, he does bring and was their top scorer last season. Um, I just the only thing I would say on this again, it's another one, another one of my moans on things generally. But how much of this is actually the media? You know, it, it has had a strop. Yet we know that. 
Ten Hag says, look, we're fine, we've had a chat about it. It's the media and all the attention. That, oh, now no, he's in the mood. Is he? What, do you, you've asked him, had you? He's, he's quite reclusive personally and he likes the fame, but he doesn't tell people, yeah, do you know what? I'm seething with Ten Hag. I should be in that team. So I can't help but feel a lot of this and the situation and the drama with it is that just manufactured by the press as well. It's all insider, isn't it? I suppose there'll be some people with an insider knowledge to it and then you see like Daily Mirror and whatever, Daily Mail come out with it and Athletic seems to have a bit of a rundown on these types of things these days with their insiders but no I completely appreciate um next question Stephen in London so <laughs> I quite like this one you both make it clear that you think Arsenal will fall away and Spurs seems to be hit and miss at the moment do you think both North London clubs will be busy in January and where do you see them finishing a couple of layers to the question then I think um Conte is more renowned for being a you know, a bit more trigger happy in the, in the transfer market. So, if, if I had to guess uh, off, off the top, who would be more active in the transfer window? It would probably be Ch- uh, top Spurs. Sorry, Arsenal. I feel their activity may well be influenced by the World Cup. They seem, you know, they have a good eleven players at the moment, despite what we are saying. I don't think they have the strength and depth. If they have a problem with Jesus Saka. Odegaard, someone like that who, who's making a big contribution to the team, I think they could be affected. And obviously, if something like some of those players that are away on the World Cup duty were injured and impacted Arsenal, Jesus and Saka being probably the main two, would they then maybe look to, to go out and spend some money given how well they're doing to supplement or to, 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 to ensure that they finish in the top four? You could certainly see that. So I think a lot of it would depend on the injuries and, and how the World Cup goes for both teams, I could see. Agreed. Um, I think a lot has been made out recently, and again, this goes back to what you just said there about the press, seem to be inferring that Spurs are playing atrociously. I don't think they're necessarily that bad. They clearly are out of form, and they're very hit and miss at the moment. Um, They're not terrible. They they seem to be just sort of stagnating. Conte has been fairly adamant, as you say, that it's going to take him a few transfer windows to build the specific team that he wants. Um, I think that's essentially saying... Daniel Levy, give me this money so I can build this team. (laughs) Yeah, Um, I think Conte will probably want a number of signings. Like you say, he's a little bit more trigger happy. Um, Arsenal wise, I think you're right. I think I can't really disagree with you. It it depends on what happens in the World Cup. I still see them pushing for a couple of signings to build the quality and depth. Regardless, even if they don't get any injuries, I think the biggest issue that they would face is. They don't have that quality in depth. They've got a very good starting eleven, clearly playing exactly how Arteta wants them to do and playing very well. But as you saw against PSV, um, on yesterday it was, was that um, there are ways around them. And if they do get around them, there is no real changes that can be made to them. Is Conte not his own worst enemy in this situation as well? And what I mean by that is he's renowned as not being a stayer. You know, two, two or three seasons he's gone. Absolutely. When you've got a manager like that who's what now 18 months into the tenure and you know he's not going to be around in, in three or four years, if I'm an owner, that kind of makes it hard to justify backing him. And they backed him, you know, fairly significantly if we're being honest so far, which, you know, is unspursy in itself. But um, I think he he's his own worst enemy there. Going to someone to say, give me 100 mil and I can turn you into title challenges. But the kind of rebid lines are probably fucked off for a better job in, in a year's time. It's a hard sell. It's football, though, isn't it? That's the difficulty that you've got. You look at 
biggest example I can think of is uh, Leeds this season. Obviously, all the signs have been around Jesse Marsh. Likelihood is that Jesse Marsh isn't going to be there for much longer. That's just the, the risk that you take in football. And if it doesn't work in the, the short term, you've got to try and make it work in the long term with the else you bring in. So I get what you're saying, um, but you know what Conte's USP is when you sign Conte. So you can't then be surprised by it later down the line. Only thing, just to argue, just because I feel like for the sake of fucking arguing because it's a Friday. Never. With, with Conte you know already what he's going to do. 3-5-2 every time. And where the players that he's tried to buy in are either centre-backs or wing-backs, and Perisic will convert them into it to fit into that mould. If you have a replacing with a new manager, who the fuck, apart from him and Glenn Hoddle, plays fucking 3-5-2 anymore? Counter I would give you in, in terms of lead signings is Tyler Adams. Fantastic player from the looks of things. Really good centre-mid. You always need a centre-mid whatever position you play. You know, Sinistera out on the wing. Even these days, if you're playing tighter and more narrow, you still need someone in that kind of area. You could play a more central. Aronson looks great. You could drop him a bit deeper. You could put him out wide. So, with lead signings, I hear what you're saying. They are clearly, um, you know, the Marsh's signings. But I think, could they be quite easily utilised by another manager who wants to play a, a, a different system? Yes, some of the people that Conte wants and the system he operates are far more exclusive to the way that he sets teams up. Final question. Rebecca in Portadown? Is that Northern Ireland? Northern Ireland or Ireland. I think it's Northern Ireland. It's Irish. Yeah, but you better get that right, otherwise you're going to cause a, a bit of a war. Um, is VAR ruining football and should they scrap it? Straight to the point there. I feel like she's just baiting us like you bait me usually. <laughs> Thanks, Rebecca. Um it can't be. I don't think it's ruining it. Ruining it's a very over, overly critical kind of word, isn't it? Has it improved things in some areas? Yes. Goes back to our constant moan, and everyone's, I'm sure, including Rebecca, is incredibly bored of it. It's the consistency that's lacking. That's where they are getting it wrong, and they need to get better at looking at the consistency. The other thing that seems to happen more and more now. Tottenham have had this twice, I think, in a week, have they? The time, like these seven, eight-minute delays over to a goal when it's in the last minute, and that that's too long. What are we doing? You've got a couple of replays. Sometimes you need a couple of angles. You know, all right, that's a minute. How do we get to six minutes? That is ruining up, but that, that's having a detrimental effect on football. It's a very good point, and I would echo especially about Spurs this week so if you hadn't seen it um, Spurs spot in Lisbon midweek uh, Spurs score a 95th minute winner it then gets disallowed for the tightest of tight offsides it's debatable whether it's offside or not um, and it, it, I think the, the actual decision is in the 97th or 98th so it's taken 2-3 minutes to make this everyone's already going mental at that point thinking they've scored a last minute winner and then it gets chalked off so it becomes more to the point for me these days that VAR seems to be, or the purpose of VAR seems to be, can we disallow this rather than can we actually allow it? So it becomes more of a negative thing rather than a potential positive thing. There's no benefit given to an attacker anymore. There's nothing like that. It's all about, oh, well, his little toe is slightly offside. Let's get the lines drawn. And even though they're touching, even though they're very, very close and overlapping, that's definitely offside. Things like that. Um, what I would say on the flip side of Antonio Conte being stroppy, obviously he got sent off. He stormed out of his press conference. Did you see that? 
um, yeah, stormed out when um, they were asked a few questions. I think he got asked one question. He went, ah, I'm not doing this anymore and stormed out. Um, they got to the final, Spurs, 2019, on the back of... Against who beat them? <laughs> well, but on the back of Man City being on the wrong end of VAR. So, obviously, was it Sterling that scored that? And it was the last minute. And it all seemed to be City have got through. You're going to get a City-Liverpool final. And then, actually, it gets overturned because of VAR. They get saved and then end up doing absolutely nothing in the final. One of the most boring Champions League finals I've ever watched. But it works in both ways, and that's the swings and roundabouts aspect of it. The issue that I've got is exactly what you said about the consistency. And we get into the point now where... Yes, football always has talking points and will always have talking points, but I don't want to, at the end of the game, talk about, well, was that VAR decision right? Was that VAR decision wrong? I want to talk about, yeah, my team was shit this week and what a shock we've been battered and that Mo Salah's put another hat-trick past us uh, and things like that. So it, it just seems to take away the emotion and all that thing from the from the I definitely right? say as a final point on this, because otherwise we could easily go on for another hour and just our own views on Barrio. It's definitely changed football for me. And what I mean by that, watching games now these days, you score, whether it's a, you know, it's, it's a late goal or goal, but in a big game, you know, it matters. And the viewing experience has changed in that instead of the usual armchair fan like I am celebrating and yeah, you kind of everything's got a sort of a hold on it, a dampener. And you, you, you're waiting for the camera to pass over to the bar. Right, is the Lino flagging? Is he going to... And again, if you do score and then they go to the replay, you fucking know that's getting cancelled, don't you? So uh, it, it's added an, an, an extra layer of, you could say, sus, sort of tension and suspense in there, but not an enjoyable one. Tell me someone that's like, enjoys waiting for five minutes in the 90th minute for a goal to be confirmed, yes or no. No fan in the world has said, yeah, that made it even better. So it's it's definitely changed football in that respect, but and that for the worst for me, you, as you say, you can't celebrate anymore like you used to. You celebrate and you've got you know a little check on yourself, right? Is it is, is it actually going to be a goal? Whereas back in the day, it's a lot easier, wasn't it? Hundred percent. If you're at a game watching it, the first thought that I always had for the last few years, obviously before VAR, when we we're in the championship, look at the linesman. Is the linesman flagging? No, nothing at all. Referee's fine with it. It's a goal. And then you can celebrate. So there's a split second there where you might look over and have a glance, but then it's fine. Now, as you say, if you see people crowding around the referee, you daren't celebrate because you think, well, why are they crowding around the referee? There must be summit in this. This is probably going to go to VAR and it's going to get overturned potentially. So. And if you do celebrate and then you think it's a goal, it's even more of a blow if it then gets wound back or disallowed. So it's, actually, it just makes you, oh, do I wait to celebrate? Right, I've got to wait for the confirmation, which, as you say, is definitely not an enjoyable... Um, benefit that's come as part of that well another upbeat way to end uh, another episode of uh, the podcast obviously next week is going to go one or two ways either I'm going to be extremely smug or as we expect um, Ian is going to be very very happy but as always thanks very much for listening and we'll speak to you next week